All right, y'all. Welcome back to the Good Newscast. Today we are talking. Um, we're catching up. We're catching up. I think we missed last week. Last week uh, we're following a, a Bible basic series that uh, Jeff's preaching through here at Redeemer. Uh, not this past Sunday, the Sunday before was on essentially where does faith come from, effectual calling, uh, whatever. And then Jeff just preached on why Jesus died, the death of Christ, obviously, which is leading us into Good Friday. So, uh, and then what, what we're going to do for maybe five or 10 minutes is talk essentially where does faith come from, uh, the Calvinism, Arminianism debate at our church last Wednesday. We had what we are calling Theology After Dark. It's our second one where we, where we teach our position on a theological topic. Um, and we do that by bringing in someone who disagrees with us, a Christian who disagrees with us on this theological topic. So we brought in a professor who represented the Arminian position on a handful of issues, and then Jeff presented ours. So um, so let me, let's start off like this before we'll do five or 10 minutes on this and then talk the death of Jesus. And I'll ask it like this, where does faith come from why yes why do i believe in jesus or uh-huh. do you believe in jesus but Susie q yeah does not ah oh, there's so many ways to answer this but i think one that that might be a little helpful uh is to just think of uh faith as either a cause or a an effect i think that's a good way to kind of dip your toe into the waters, the deep waters of where does faith come from. So is faith, um, is faith reached, you reach into a, a hat and you magically pull out faith that it's the primary cause that uh, produces all the effects in our life? Or is uh, faith the effect of another cause, which would call the grace of God? Um, and the Bible seems to be absolutely clear that uh that faith is an effect of the cause of grace. So even uh, when Paul is talking about how someone actually believes, he gets down to the bottom line, and faith comes by hearing, hearing the words of Christ. So even then, faith is a, an effect of the words of Christ, or in that context, specifically the good news of Jesus. And in that passage, it's a wonderful passage where it says that in the, in the message of the gospel, uh, Jesus calls forth, Jesus shows up um, and says, Lazarus, come out. Uh, and then Lazarus uh, is alive and he's in the tomb and he's rubbing his eyes and shaking off the, the death strips that are all around him and he sees Jesus and believes. Um, that is uh, the position that we believe the Bible teaches. So faith is an effect uh, of the Holy Spirit of Jesus and his spirit working through the message of the gospel, the spirit and the gospel, the spirit and the word go together. And Jesus says, let there be light. Jesus calls us from uh, death to life and faith is the effect of that. So another way of saying it is, is when Nicodemus went to talk with Jesus and Jesus says, you can't see, much less enter the kingdom of God. You can't even see it unless you're born from above. Um, so Nicodemus, uh, rightly so, as he's thinking purely naturally and 
thinking purely in a self-activating way can't figure that out. Like, how does that happen? He even said, you know, what are you saying? I have to go back into my mother's womb. I mean, because he's thinking he's got to activate it. And Jesus is like, uh, no, you're, you're born again. And the first sound of a newborn baby is faith. Uh, so faith comes from life already present. Mm-hmm. Faith comes from the cause of new life. Faith comes mm-hmm. from, uh, if Paul would say, by hearing about Jesus and Jesus calling you back to life. Uh, and that goes, what's great is that that's the same for the, the Christian. Uh, how you begin the Christian life is also how you continue the Christian life, how you grow in the Christian life. And you, if you struggle to find Ah, my faith, you know, sometimes it feels like I can barely find a pulse of my faith. Sometimes it feels like, you know, the pilot light uh, in a furnace, that little flickering light in the midst of a tornado or a hurricane, that my faith is going to get blown out. And the answer to how you get strengthened, how your faith is strengthened, how you're strengthened is by hearing good news. Uh, And in the hearing of good news, Jesus shows up by his Spirit and strengthens, encourages by the visible good news and the sacraments. Jesus shows up by a spirit through that means, and he strengthens you, encourages you, um, fans the flame into a brighter flame for you. So that's tremendous good news, Mm. uh, that faith is not something I manufacture. Mm -hmm. It's not this cause that I've got to somehow find the switch that turns on the cause of faith that now... Um, activates the grace of God in my life. Uh, instead, it's the grace of God activating faith in my life, specifically hearing good news. I think that, you know, and only spending 10 minutes on this, um, I think that for me, as I preparing for a Theology After Dark, just in terms of wanting to be knowledgeable, reading uh, Dr. Olson's book, um, I, shoot, I can't remember what it's called, but it's maybe called like Classical Arminianism. Yeah. I can't remember. Very, very good book if you want to learn the Arminian position, especially historically. Um, but the the biggest thing is, and what I found fascinating was that that classical Arminianism would say would say, we yeah, faith is a gift. It's all by grace, and praise God they would say that faith is a gift, and we're saved by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. Right, same team. But they would say all that. And so one of the things I found that I think could be confusing is, okay, well, they would say faith is a gift. They would say it's all by grace, that we believe by grace. And on the one hand, I believe Dr. Olson in the book makes it very clear that they would say that faith is even caused by God's grace, that specifically. I think that that to make it clear of, so then you would go, well, where's the difference, right? Where's the difference in what we believe and what Arminian believes? The difference is, is that the Armenian believes in this, um, this intermediate state, if you will, between, between being dead and alive. So we would both say, both positions would say, Ephesians 2, we're born dead in our sin. Okay, we agree there. There's this dead state that you have to be resurrected from. But we would say, the Calvinist position would say, that there's only two states. One of them is dead, and a dead person does not believe in Jesus. There's no dead person who does believe in Jesus. So when you're dead, you don't believe in him. Uh, And then there's another state called being alive. And there's no such thing as an alive person who doesn't believe in Jesus, right? So you're either dead and not believing in Jesus, or you're alive and you do believe in him. The whole kicker question is, 
how do you go from dead to alive? Well, we're saying by God's grace alone, okay? The Arminian would say there's this intermediate state there that's like assumed. I think that I think that it's being faithful to their position. They would say it's assumed throughout a lot of the Bible. Yeah. That that you have dead and you have alive, but you have an intermediate state where a person is like um, sort of Half regenerated. Dead. Right. <laughs> they're right. like they're I can't remember what Dr. Olson says in, in his book, but he basically says you're like you're like post dead, but pre alive. Um, and in that position you can choose and you must choose to not resist God's grace. You must choose to believe you must choose her. And God leaves that decision in your hands, assisted by grace. You've been awakened, half awakened, if you will, you, it's all been done by grace and somehow it's all caused by grace, even though you're left to decide. And they call that prevenient grace. It's called correct? prevenient grace. Yeah. So our illustration, you used it. Our illustration that I think you and I would probably both use is like the Calvinist is saying your toddler ran in the street, they disobeyed, you know, in their sin, they deserve to die, whatever, if you will. Yeah. They ran into the street, a Mack truck is coming, and you have you have assisted them like mad. Um, but you will leave the choice in their hand to move. Yeah. Um, because you want to preserve their free will yeah. or whatever. I mean, you'll call out to them, you'll yell yeah, to yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Calvinist is saying, this is, a, this is not a great illustration, but the Calvinist is saying, I'm going to run, I'm going to grab the toddler and move him out of the way so he doesn't get hit by the Mack truck. Yeah. Okay. Again, that gets into kind of like the whole, like, well, are you saying God violates our wills? No. Actually, we're saying it's much, it's much better. Yeah. New wills. Yeah. New creation. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, he awakens us to not be so eternally foolish. So they're going to, so the Arminian classically, and even, you know, uh, today, modern, is going to root God's love. I know, where's God's love? Where's divine love? They're going to root it in the um, the ability for the human being to make a choice. Yeah. Um, and even it, as we were describing, which I thought was really, really interesting at the Theology After Dark, uh, as... Uh, Dr. Wilhite was presenting his view of free will. I was strangely, it was like, I think he was a little probably shocked when I got up and said, you know, I absolutely agree with that, mm -hmm. that view of free will. Mm -hmm. uh, we always choose what we want. Right. And, uh, you know, we're always free to be who we are by nature. A fish is free to be a fish. A human being's free to be a human being. So everyone chooses what they want. So then the question becomes again, uh, a divine divine love is rooted in what uh, in the Bible? And it seems like Paul just flat out tells us when he says, but God proves or demonstrates, shows, uh, exhibits uh, his love in this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So there's this sense uh, in which uh, the biblical position seems to be that uh, divine love is rooted and has its meaning and its proof, its exhibition, so to speak, uh, and God actually doing the saving, mm -hmm. saving us, uh, his life, death, resurrection, actually doing it, going into the street, getting us out, actually taking our place, right? And again, the uh, Arminian position is more in maintaining his will, maintaining the, the free will, um, this neutral idea of free will uh, in a human being is where they're going to root all of God's mm -hmm. love. Um, so that's just a it's a difference. It's a fact, right? Mm -hmm. That's just that's just what that particular system 
understands God's love to be, and then uh, a Calvinistic understanding, uh, mm-hmm. which we would obviously both say is biblical, um, is rooted in God actually doing the saving, mm-hmm. saving you. There are so many things I'll honor. We're at 12 minutes, and I'll honor what I said, but I think I wrote a number of uh, articles, blogs that are coming out on goodnewsnotgoodadvice.com on this. Um, that I wanted to come out after Theology After Dark. And I think this is making me want to kind of turn them into podcasts because there's just so many weird things about about the whole debate that I that are fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. You know, just the whole, yeah, how they kind of think through free will. Uh, they say, you know, the Calvinist God would never, um, or God would never, you know, take his grace that far to make the choice for you. And yet they also believe that prevenient grace does that very thing. Correct. That prevenient grace comes to a dead person and makes them sort of alive. Right. So he's doing something for the person (laughs) that they couldn't do for themselves. And they didn't choose it. Right. Correct. He chose it for them. So it's like, it's weird because I'm like, wait a minute, you're objecting on an idea or a philosophy or principle that you already embrace fully, fully embrace. So I'm like, yeah, we fully embrace that too. Now the question is how far? Yeah. So it's like God is willing to quote unquote violate wills right to get you into a neutral state yeah but he's not willing to do it to keep you out of hell yeah I'm like oh it's more loving to me you know what I mean yeah hey if it means keeping Colin Coates out of hell violate my will right have at it <laughs> you know get her right. done right like right. I, so anyway yeah um all right uh, next theology after dark in the fall for our peeps here in Waco. If you're in Waco listening, we we're trying to invite more and more of the city and the community and other churches and pastors in the fall. We're going to do one on angels and demons. That won't be a debate. I think uh, Jeff. We probably need to solidify this, but I think yeah. Jeff will probably teach on demons, mm-hmm. the dark side. I'm probably going to teach on angels and. Is that saying something about the us? Side, yeah. I think it lends to our personalities. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so anyway, we're going to do angels and demons again. I think that will just be fun theological teaching that, that I'm going to enjoy preparing for and studying angels. Um, and then we're going to do one on spiritual gifts. We're going to have a pastor over from a local church here that has some disagreement with us to be sure about spiritual gifts. And Mm -hmm. so we're going to do spiritual gifts, which, which will be awesome. Who knows what we'll line up for the spring, but more fun stuff. So that's coming up. All right, leading into Good Friday, we've got Good Friday this Friday, obviously talking about the death of Jesus. You just preached on it this last uh, Sunday, so I'll let you kind of riff. Um, but why did Jesus die? How do we think about the death of Jesus? What does it mean for not only humanity, but even us as Christians, seasoned Christians who know all about the death of Jesus? Yeah, this is such a... Obviously, we even said on Sunday, you know, when you start, now that we're getting to the cross and we're getting to the resurrection, you know, we're now climbing Mount Everest, right? This is the the heart. Uh, This is the source. This is the power. Uh, This is the reality. This is Christianity. Uh, This is the heart of good news. Uh, When you move into the death Uh, and resurrection of Jesus, you're not moving into the realm of uh, how to do things. Uh, You're moving into the realm of God doing things um, for you. And so, so why did Jesus have to die? It's, it's a huge topic. Um, I think the best way to think about it is in terms of uh, debt and deadness. Um, And, 
And it's even to a larger discussion that I'm going to bring up right here that there seem to be theological categories that get conflated. In other words, you could have two, think of a, a chain and you got different links in a chain. Think of each of those links on the chain as distinct doctrines that are meant to be distinct um, and are part of a chain of doctrines that are beautiful and uh, bright and life-giving, that the Scripture gives us a multiplicity of distinct doctrines that are drama and life-giving. Uh, and those, those chains, those each links in that one chain are meant uh, to stand uh, as distinct and as beautiful and as life-giving in that uniqueness that God has for it. And what tends to happen is um, they they either get separated from the chain, they break the links, and they take these doctrines, we do this, and we we take them and separate them, and, and one church tradition takes one link, and the other church tradition takes the other link, and they're never joined again. And those are expressions of theological systems, doctrines, traditions, denominations. And then there's other uh, folks that can get together and take this chain and take these distinctive links and take two links and blend them together, mix them so they're no longer distinct. They've now formed one new glob or a big old stew since we're from Texas where you just kind of throw everything in and you don't know where the potatoes are, the carrots are, the beef is. It's just all one big new thing. Uh, that also happens in the church, um, and we could just go through and pick tons of doctrines like this. I mean, you could, let's just do something really, really basic. The church uh, visible and the church invisible, right? Those are both talking about the church, two mm -hmm. distinct realities um, that can be conflated or separated. You could make the church only invisible or the church only visible uh, or form some new Vis, invis thing, I don't know, some new creation of the church. Uh, and doing any of that is confusing, it's not helpful, it's not life-giving, it takes the drama, the life, turns doctrine into stuff it's not, it's just not true. So in this area, the legal and the transformative or the dynamic power realities of what Jesus has done um, are meant to be distinct, but kept together. So when you get to justification, so to speak, is one link, it's legal. Uh, it carries all kinds of life and power in it, but it also is the, the source by which other links in the chain come in mm -hmm. that are distinct, but they're not separate from it. Things like uh, deliverance from the power of sin, or what we call sanctification, and then eventual glorification. So when we get to the death of Jesus, one thing that's often forgotten today in modern theology is the legal reality of what Jesus is doing in his death. Now, we're all free, and we do talk about the dark powers that are out there. Um, we talk about the dark power of the sin and how we're in it, and all that that death-dealing reality of constantly breaking down, that sin only breaks down. We talk about the dark powers of death itself uh, that's very comprehensive, not just physical, but also spiritual and also eternal, and then think of it comprehensively of being that way forever. And then all the little deaths in life, right? I mean, the death of loneliness, the death of rejection, all of that is part of this piece called death. So, you know, this is a these are dark powers. These are, this is a realm that's just horrific. 
you have the realm of the dark power of sin. You have the realm of the dark power of death, which they're all in the same realm. You have the, you have the lords and the demonic powers in this realm, right? I mean, we could just go on and on. So there's the realm of death, and we focus on the realm of death, but we don't realize that the realm of death is actually a symptom of something else, and the symptom is the, the transaction that took place in the garden. The day you eat of it, you die. Uh, the, the, the debt, uh, the condemnation, the, the legal curse for sinning is death. It's a sentence. It's a death debt. It's a death sentence. Uh, that sentence is where the consequence has been all the realm of the dead, all the dark powers. Mm-hmm. And so when Jesus died, um, we need to remember that he's paying a debt, mm-hmm. that he's paying the death debt, that the sinner must die, and so Jesus takes our place as the sinner and dies and pays the debt. And Paul's real clear, when that happened, when that debt's paid, he disarms all the principalities and powers. He, mm-hmm. he collapses and brings down and defeats all the palaces and prisons of death and the empire of death and the darkness. Um, so we could say it this way really, really clearly. When Jesus dies, he's paying uh, the, the sin debt. He's paying the penalty for sin, the, the judgment for sin, the condemnation for sin, pays it. And in the process, uh, he now defeats all the dark powers. He defeats the power of sin in terms of its presence and its enslavingness, its totality. He pays, he, he brings down and defeats the dark powers of Satan and the demonic. Uh, he defeats the dark power of death itself mm-hmm. and all of its palaces and prisons that go with that. So that's what's happening on the cross. Just a minor thing. You know, um, as you were talking, it, it occurred to me, I was thinking, I was thinking, okay, to Christians, I don't think saying, you know, on the cross, when you look at the cross, Jesus is paying your debt of sin. Like, I don't think that most Christians would have any kind of be like, whoa, 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 that's earth shattering idea or news. Yeah. Okay. So I was just thinking, well, so, so then I thought, I wonder though, if Christians know that, like they would say, if, if I look at the cross, I'm looking at my debt being paid. Jesus paid it all. Okay. And then I thought, and I wonder if that's the very reason why it's so hard for us to live cross-centered lives, if you will, because we think yeah, 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 that's been dealt with. And I don't really need to hear that or know that very much anymore. Right. It doesn't need to be something I hear. It doesn't need to be at the forefront of my thought that my debt has been paid. Now, if you tell me that by the stripes of Jesus, um, you know, uh, that by the cross, I can have a miracle today and be healed of my cold. Okay. That helped. That's helpful. Or (laughs) by the cross of Jesus, um, you know, he'll make you healthy, wealthy, and happy. Okay, that would be helpful. Yeah. But in terms of like your debt being paid, it's very, that's like the A of the Christian life, but it's not the element of PZ. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, it's nice on Good Friday to remember that, but I don't necessarily know where there's power in it for me. So as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, and, and we obviously talk about this a lot and preach this a lot, that 
man, think about that. I was reading a quote from, from Martin Luther today who said, paraphrasing, but basically said, we need to hear the gospel incessantly because in the frailty of our flesh, we are not able to believe it with our whole heart. Yeah, We are ever drifting away from the very core of the cross. We're ever drifting away from the reality that the debt's been paid, that the guilt has been taken care of, that we now stand not just free of guilt, but counted righteous, counted as people before God who've always done everything right, who've never done anything wrong, who are perfect in every way. Um, and, and we fail to see that as we drift, that is the root of so much of our sin. Without a doubt. I mean, think, uh, just think of it this way. How much, how much accusation, condemnation, and judgment is in your relationships? Right. Right. Now, if that's a if that's a a thing that can be definitively definitively paid, like it's over, no more accusation, no more condemnation, no more curse, no more judgment ever, like done. What if it was done? Mm-hmm. Uh, how would that affect? How would it affect your parenting? How right. would it affect right. the way you actually deal with failure in your life? The way you deal even with your sin, like in your life. Yeah. Um, there seems to be a sense in which we don't believe it's done. Right. And therefore it doesn't have present power in our life, right? right? So we, you know, we blow, let's say we sin, we do something that we absolutely never thought we could do. So what do we do? Well, we don't believe the debt was paid. So what do we do? We start paying the debt. Well, how do you know you're paying the debt? Well, that's why you're depressed. Mm-hmm. That's why you're self-loathing and self-punished. You're, you don't even know it. We don't even know it. Involuntarily, we start self-loathing ourselves because of what we just did well that that goes right back to what jesus did on the cross he paid the debt you you don't need to pay that debt and when your child messes up you don't need to make them pay the debt and when someone else sins against you forgiveness is actually saying they don't have to pay the debt Mm -hmm. very very practical stuff i just think um it needs to be recaptured a little bit. It's extremely, yeah. I mean, I think like a lot of times we go, oh, the reason you're doing X, Y, and Z or whatever is like you're having a bad, you're not having good faithfulness in your quiet times. You know, if you'd have good faithfulness in your quiet times, you wouldn't be dealing with this sin issue, right? So it's yeah. like this, but but we don't get to like the root of like, well, what is a quiet time even all about, right? What is reading the Bible even all about? Like, what are you supposed to be getting from it? You know, where is it even <laughs> right. taking you? Right. Guess where it's taking you? to the, you know, as Piper, I think, called like the blazing center of God's glory on the cross. Yeah, It's taking you right back there again and again and again, you know, to figure out maybe this actually would help solve some of your greed problems. Yeah. That you think you need more, more, more because you don't realize you have everything, you know, in Christ, every blessing in the heavenly places. Yeah. You know, um, you're actually like shooting too low, yeah. you know, in a sense. But anyway, that just, yeah, that, that occurred to me that it's like, man, we actually, it's, I think a lot of Christians go, okay, yeah, I get it, Jeff. Like he paid my debt. It's like, but do you get it on Monday at 2 PM when you feel like a complete failure as a parent and you're completely ashamed of yourself and completely embarrassed Yeah. and you're embarrassed before God and you're embarrassed before your spouse and your kids. Do you get that the debt's been paid, that you're counted as righteous before him and that yes, you suck as a parent. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Both those things are true. <laughs> yes. But we go, I suck as a parent, therefore I must have debt before God. Yeah. No, we have to actually hold sinner and saint. I suck as a parent, 
and I'm righteous before God and the gospel. I need to hear the gospel incessantly right now. Right. Um, so good. So even think about if you're looking for the theological words that talk about this, you have condemnation and death go together. Like condemnation is the legal declaration of being a sinner and owing a debt. And what it does is it carries death with it. Paul says the wages of sin is death. So in the Bible, condemnation carries the dynamic power, the realm of death with it. Now, the other doctrines on the flip side is justification, the legal source of uh, being right before God and being welcome and accepted of having a righteousness that's not your own. And that's what imputation means. It's given to you because it's not yours, but it is yours because it's someone else's for you. That justification is the legal source, the heart of the gospel that carries life with it. And that's, that's all the realities of the Holy Spirit. So sanctification, all of that goes into that. Condemnation uh, and death, justification and life. Those are the doctrines that hold these things. Legal sources, condemnation, justification, carry dynamic power with it. Death, life. All right, that's it for us today. Uh, Next week, we'll probably be talking, discussing resurrection as we head into, obviously, Easter. So... Uh, Glad to have you guys listening.